Uh, super excited to get to dig into scripture with you. We've been in a series on 1 Corinthians, and I don't know about you, but this has been an incredible letter uh, to just dig into um, that Paul wrote. I don't know if you've thought about this fact, but it is a letter. We read it like a book. We've been working through it for the better part of uh, 2018, uh, but it's a letter, and I've never written or received such a letter. I don't know about you. Uh, this is an incredible, uh, really, piece of literature that we get to dig into. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to a church in Corinth. And like any great city, it is full of epic potential as well as kind of a magnifying glass on the human condition. And so as he works through and tries to help them uh, uh, follow Jesus better and more faithfully, we too get to come along with that. So it's been a real treat to, to do intro. I hope it has been for you as well in small groups, but also on Sunday uh, as we dig in. So what I want to do is to get in, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, so if you have a Bible or phone, uh, you can jump there. Um, but to get there, I think to set the stage for what we're, what we're doing here, uh, what I wanted to do was, was kind of paint an overview, and get a bird's eye view of what's been happening in the letter so far. And I think that'll help, one, to refresh if you haven't made it and, and been able to work through the, the text with us, but also is to set up 1 Corinthians 12 well for us today. If you remember, uh, the way we started this, the way Paul starts this letter in 1 Corinthians, the opening few chapters there starts dealing with divisions within the church. This is where groups are playing favorites with their leaders. And, and, and Paul says, that this, is not, this is not the way that the church is supposed to operate, right? The division, this is nearly just a matter of your pride and your me-first attitude. That Jesus' way is not this way. That Jesus... The wisdom of God was put on display when he was crucified. That means humility, self-sacrifice. And so picking your favorites and divisions, it's a me-first mindset that doesn't belong in the church. And so setting the groundwork for the cross to be the center of all that happens within the community of faith. Then he starts to work through the body of the letter that we've been in uh, for the last couple months in 5 all the way through 14 as this, dealing with those issues grounded in the cross. And so we began this in, in 5, 6, and 7, dealing with our favorite subject to talk about in church, which is sex, of course. That's a joke. Um, dealing with what we do with our bodies. And for the Corinthians, this, was, this is my body, this is my right to do whatever I want with this. this is again, no, Paul, Paul says to them, no, this is not your right. This is not how this goes. You were bought at a price. Again, he takes their issue and works it through the filter and lens of the gospel so that they begin to perceive what they do with their bodies, what they do sometimes with, with their time and their energies, and say, no, no, work it through the gospel. You were bought at a price. You say that you have the right to all things, but in truth, not all things are beneficial. Not all things serve the good of the community. And then again, as we moved into the next, the next major section, we started talking about in chapter 8, about the meals. Even the food that they were eating was a me-first mindset. This is the weird kind of something very foreign to us, I think, today in, in most of our context and most of our experiences, where the meals that were being eaten had, had relationship and, and, and were connected to idolatry. So some people were saying, I see meat, I want meat, I eat meat. And others were having difficulty because it, it led them to temptation in idolatry. And Paul says, this is not the way. You may say that you're the strong Christian in this case, and you, it doesn't bother you to do this, but the gospel says something different. 
The gospel isn't me-centered, it's others-centered. You say that it's all things I have the right to, but in truth, in truth, not all things benefit the community. And so I, I want to emphasize this, because as we set up in, in chapter 12, we're going to talk about kind of the positive end and proper worship that's supposed to happen within the gathering. Idolatry being the improper worship, self-centeredness, me-first attitude, as we talked last week in, more, in regards to the Lord's Supper, that's negative. That is not the way that the gathering is supposed to operate. And at 12, we start to lay, Paul starts to lay out how this is supposed to work properly within the community, talking about what is truly spiritual, what is truly in line with God's spirit working in the community. And again, what we'll see, and I hope that just plain as we work through these first 11 verses, is that with God's spirit at work, God empowers the community for the community. God empowers us as a community following Jesus for the good of the community. Just like in regards to our sex, just like in regards to our bodies, just like in regards to the meals we eat and the the difficult situations we might create for one another and how we have our conscious dictate our actions. So too in regards to how the Spirit works, he's going to say, the community is empowered by the Spirit for the good of the community. And so I want to work through this. That's a big bird's eye view, really fast through a few months of just digging through this book, but I hope you see the downbeat that is consistent throughout the, throughout the letter as a whole. So what I'll do is, if you're in 1 Corinthians 12, because I went too long, so of course you found 1 Corinthians 12 like five minutes ago, uh, what I want to do is start to just work through this uh, verse by verse. So 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, if you have a different translation, you might say spiritual things, spiritual matters. Um, I think that's in terms of the, the chapter heading, that works a little bit better. But in terms of spiritual gifts or spiritual matters, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want to be uninformed. For you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So I'm going to put a pause button on this, because in this, especially in this verse 2, as he talks about being led astray to mute idols, there's a whole storyline that's behind this. A whole storyline that's not just for the Corinthians, and not just for what, what Paul calls here pagans, but the human condition as a whole. That you and I and every person have been led astray by either by distraction or by deception to chase after empty idols, things that take the place of God. And I don't know if you, if, you, if you read this and heard this, that he says that they are mute idols. Idols we think of, I think, is, you know, and rightfully so, stone, or there's some kind of statue. Of course they're mute, Paul. What are you talking about? What he's tapping into here is a way within the mindset of, and throughout the scriptures that idols are talked about, that they can't speak even though they have mouths, that they have ears but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. And over and over, we see this description, not only of the idols, but those who worship them also become like them. And it's on one, an accurate description of idols that they do not see or hear or smell. There's no life in them. But it's also kind of a metaphor for describing the lifelessness that is a part of idolatry. 
the famous uh, Jewish theologian Abraham Joshua Hessel says that the minimum meaning for the word God, the meaning that we ascribe to this G-O-D, these three letters, is that he's alive. That there is nothing more minimum that we can ascribe to this three-letter word that he is alive. Following that line of thought, there is nothing more minimum of a definition that we can have to idolatry, things that replace God, except that they are dead, lifeless. There's no spirit, no breath in them. Anything that takes the place of God and becomes ultimate, that we trust in, that is not God, is lifeless. Like a black hole, it sucks all of the life out of us. This is, you know, the crane game or any game, really, at the fair or the arcade. You put quarter in after quarter after quarter. And unless you have just, the, you know, the, the 45 degrees, you shake the whole thing at the right angle, then you don't get anything. In the ancient world, we, we think that's, that's, I don't have idols. I'm not consumed with things like stone or, or wood. But again, the core is anything that takes the place of God in our lives, anything that we trust in over and above God. We may not have all the mythology behind it or some deity to describe the name of it, but many things in our lives do take the place, and they are the black hole in our lives, sucking the life out of us. For the Corinthians and for the human condition, for us all, we have experienced that either by being distracted or deceived, we have been led astray. But that's not the end of the story, right? Let's keep going and see how Paul lays this out. Verse 2 says, You were once pagan, led astray to these mute, lifeless idols. You were sucked in. Verse 3, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, no one can say, speak, have life, except in the Holy Spirit. So what has he done? He switched the story. That by the Spirit now we are revivified. New life is given to us. Though we were deceived, though we were pulled astray, and though the idols have sucked the life out of us, and in the Corinthian situation, as they have been led astray in their temples and their gods and their altars, so too, things that have taken the place of God, we have been led astray, but the Spirit revivifies. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit empowers. And out of that comes a new allegiance. If you stay here in 12, I want to read you something from just a handful of chapters earlier. As we came through this in the first few chapters, Paul's talking about how you're making these allegiances with these, these leaders and you're playing favorites, but, but you don't realize that you have seen and made allegiance to Jesus as Lord. And the way he describes it, listen to how he describes this, is 2, uh, 9 and following. So what the eye has not seen, here he quotes Isaiah, who similarly is dealing with the problem of idolatry among the people. But now what the eye has not seen, what the ear has not heard, what the heart has not understood, what God has prepared for those who love him. But to us, God has revealed 
these things through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, through God's life-giving Spirit, we now have eyes to see, ears to hear, and we can recognize Jesus as Lord. The first mark and the first recognition of the Spirit's empowered amongst the community is not naturally what we think of, of ecstatic experiences like the Corinthians were living, but a proclamation, a new allegiance to Jesus. The Spirit empowers the community for the good of the community through this new allegiance to one Lord, Jesus, who is good and gracious and kind to us. So what does this look like? I've said that the Spirit empowers the community for the good of the community. But what does it look like in the community? How does this play out? So let's continue in verse 4. There are many gifts. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation, the appearing, the, the showing of the Spirit for the common good. So now we have this new allegiance. The Spirit has revivified the community. We have eyes to see, ears to hear, and, and hearts to understand and believe and trust in Jesus. A new allegiance leads now to a realignment, a new alignment of our wills, a new alignment of the direction of our lives. But look how he breaks this out. He, he affirms and contrasts you with this, the varieties of these gifts and services and activities and ways that the Spirit appears within the community. But hear the emphasis over and over again. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, who empowers all in all. Paul, as he's trying to look at how the Spirit works through the community, what he wants to lay out for us and, and springboard offer is the very character of God is a unity amidst diversity. While it's not an exposition or trying to define or lay out all the theological nomenclature of the Trinity, this is the stuff of the Trinity. This is the stuff of who God is, his character, that he is God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father. And that unity amidst the diversity is the springboard on which we can see that there are a variety of gifts, but a unified purpose. And what is that? He says in, in verse 7, this is the downbeat again that we've seen over and over and over again. To each is given the manifestation, the appearing of the Spirit for the common good, for the good of the whole community. It's that same language we've seen over and over again that needs to be challenged to the Corinthians and to us is that all things may be your rights, but not all things benefit the whole. And the downbeat strikes again for us. I was telling someone uh, earlier, uh, I don't know about you, I grew up doing uh, high school band. I don't know if you can see that I'm looking for expressions to see if everyone's like, yeah, no, no, not at all. I asked someone uh, recently, what do you think I played in band? If I told you I played in band, what do you think? He said, clarinet. I was like, wrong. Uh, no, so I grew, up, I grew up playing the piano, and I didn't want to take gym, and so I played the xylophone. Uh, I was not an epic xylophone player whatsoever. I was goofing off. I was a teenager. Come on, let's not have too high demands. Um, 
And I kid you not, I'm, I'm not making this story. I tell this story because it's totally true and hilarious. <laughs> in, in bed, there's a few of us. We played the piano, and we didn't want to take Jim because we were cool, uh, translate geeky. And we would be back there, and we'd be like, I kid you, I don't know, pick a band song, like Pop and Circumstance, whatever it may be. And, you know, xylophone players were just hanging out there, and I kid you not, in the middle of the tune, my friend or I would play the Emperor's theme from Star Wars. I don't know if you know anything about the xylophone, but it will pierce through everything. Everybody in that room heard. Da, 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 da. We're playing something totally different. And I got, you know, my band geeks, you know, particularly like Barry Sachs, saxophone players, they're like Star Wars fanatics. Give me the nod, you know? I'm like, yeah, yeah. We're not helping the band at all, but like, this is cool, man. What was I doing? Well, it was, it was my buddy, it wasn't real. I was just laughing. That's, that's totally innocent. What was going on there? We have a conductor. He's leading in one direction. And I've got skills to, in some respects. And I'm using those not for the band's good, but to get a nod from my buddy or a laugh. It's funny and true, but it also points to this thing where it kind of illustrates how, how the church, how the community is meant to be put together, that God as a conductor is, is working a whole symphony among us. And the challenge to us is to play our part well for the good of the whole. That we might have the right and ability and skill to play the Emperor's theme song. But the question is, does it benefit the group? Because that's how the Spirit wants to work in the community. The Spirit empowers the community for the good of the community. He does that through a new allegiance to Jesus and a realignment of our will and our hearts to the common good. That's the Spirit power working in our midst. Let's finish out the, these few verses here. Verse 8. So Paul says there's a variety of all these gifts and services and activities, different ways that the Spirit makes itself known, and he says it's for the common good. Now he's going to say in 8 and following, now this is where we get spiritual gifts. This is why the chapter and every heading is probably called that. You get a list. And what he's doing here is not necessarily instructive about the gifts, but illustrative. So let's work through these. Let's work through these in beginning in 8. So verse 8, 4, 2, 1 is given through the spirits. It's our key word to this chapter. The utterance of wisdom, or the really just, uh, I don't know if you've used the word utterance lately, but probably just the word of wisdom. Another, the, the word of knowledge. According to the same spirit. And to another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the one and same spirit. That's the repetition. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues or languages. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
So in a group like this, there's probably two camps. If I read that list, some of us are looking for the exit, and some of us are like, finally, right? Now, there's a continuum, don't get me wrong, but I want you to see, we don't have time, we're not going to work through these all the way to break down what they might be, because the point is not to find, to this skills finder test in the spiritual camp of the church. The downbeat is all these things are illustrative of the way the Spirit might be working. And in the case of this, they're illustrative for the Corinthian church that loved wisdom, loved eloquent speech, loved knowledge. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, this is the Spirit working. This is great. This is illustrative of the way the Spirit's working. You like this, we're going to get into later and explain on someone else's turn, is these various kind of tongues and languages. He said, that's great. There's a Spirit working. But it's God who apportions them. It's God who empowers them. He does it for a purpose. The downbeat is there's a purpose. A purpose to God's empowering. God empowers the community for the good of the community. So I think a helpful way to try to pull this together is as the summer has come, we've, we've started to, we've got this little kind of sand slash water box thing. Um, just, Lolia has a blast with it. And we pulled it out, and of course it's, you know, we've been sitting all winter or whatever, and so we had to clean it off. And so we get the, the, the hose, and we're trying to, you know, work the nozzle, but inside the water was shut off. And I think, on one hand, we could turn the nozzle to 15 different, you know, or get another attachment, but the point or, or the real problem is if there's no water coming through and it's not pointed in the right direction, it doesn't matter what nozzle you have it on, right? Sometimes as we think about how God empowers the way that gifts might be apparent within a community, we're so focused on which nozzle we have. The question isn't which nozzle or which attachment we have. The question is, is the water flowing? Is the spirit working? And in which direction is it going? God, in his spirit, empowers the community for the community. He does that with a new allegiance to Jesus. He does that with a realignment towards the common good. There are all kinds of different gifts. And if we had a, a, a modern-day version of this letter, we might have a bunch of different other illustrations of how the gifts might be working in our community. People with skills and understanding and wisdom and knowledge, ways of communicating, administrative gifts. If you look through the New Testament, you'll find all kinds of gifts listed out. The point is there's a variety of ways the Spirit makes itself known. But its origin is in God, and its purpose is for the good of the community. So where does this leave us as a community? For some of us here, there's, uh, there's an invitation made that we are experiencing um, or in need of an experience of new life. That either through pursuing uh, different uh, idols in our life or, or being distracted or deceived to pursue things that are, that are not for our good and certainly not for the community's good, we're not following Jesus. But we're exploring what that might look like. This text, while maybe not everything makes sense to you because it's, it's, it's got some foreignness to it, and maybe not everything resonates with you, it stands as an invitation. 
that the Spirit can revivify your life, that it can invite you to follow Jesus and make a new allegiance. But for some of us here that maybe we've, we've been following Jesus for some time, this calls a challenge. This is where I want to spend some time to think about this with you. Because in this community, there are so many people that are giving of their time and energy and resources to make this community happen. That in allegiance to Jesus, they are serving for the common good. The fact that you can hear my voice through this microphone means someone, in this case, Claude, set me up so that you could hear me. The fact that we have musicians, the fact that there are chairs that you're sitting in, there is a thousand different ways, both practical and spiritual ways, that we have bought into this idea that we are empowered by the Spirit to serve the common good. But there's a challenge with everything. Every one of us, as we serve in this community, have to hold out the challenge that is how the Spirit is working in me. Is it for the common good or my personal good? There's always two extremes within the working of the Spirit and the gifts. There's those that want to, like so many of the Corinthians, want to use the gifts as a way that makes much of themselves. And the farther extreme is those that want to keep everything and not express it at all. I would imagine we're all somewhere on that continuum, and we have to ask ourselves, we have to take the challenge upon us to say, is the way I'm living my life, is the way the Spirit is working in me, is it for and serving the common good or my personal good? For those of us here that have skills and abilities, but we're not putting them to the table to help the community, they were saying, no, no, I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm not just, I'm busy. I don't have time or energy. You know, I don't have the gift of waking up early to like do setup. That's not my spiritual gift, you know? It's funny, but it's true, right? We have ways of, of meandering through and getting out of this call to self-sacrifice. And what I would submit to you is take time this morning to challenge that. Take time to evaluate not which spiritual gift that you might be working in. This isn't a strength finder's test. It's a test of our wills and our desires. Does my life serve the common good or does it serve the personal convenience that I choose? The Corinthians had one way, and Paul challenges them to do another. Today, that text, this same text challenges us again to ask the question, are we serving for the common good or our personal convenience? Are we serving for the good of the community or the good of just my individual life? As you think through that challenge, Ask the question, what if here and today that we made a switch? That while not perfect, we're leading and moving towards progress of where each and every one of us, whatever we had in our hands, whatever resources or skills that we brought to the table, we said, how can this serve the good of my community? How can this benefit the person to my left or my right? I would say that it probably looks a lot more like what we've already seen happen here. More of God's spirit working, more of that self-sacrifice, more of becoming gospel people.
The truth is, just like Paul challenges the Corinthians over and over again, so we hear that challenge this morning again. Jesus comes to give of his life, his everything. Empowered by the Spirit, he says, I will serve the common good. Though everything is my right, in a quite literal sense, I will give it up because I want to serve the other, to save many. That is not just our model, it is also our motivation. The Spirit empowers the community for the good of the community. It gives us the new allegiance and a realignment towards the common good. Let's take that invitation and that challenge this morning. Take a few minutes to, to pray, invite the band to come up. This time our service, we week in and week out because we are constantly pressing in to this challenge of being more like Jesus. We remember Jesus' sacrifice through the Lord's table. We remember by taking the bread that's symbolic of his body, the juice or wine, we take of that and we remember his sacrifice. If you are here and you do not follow Jesus, let this time be a time where you wrestle with that question of where your allegiance is and ask God to step near to you. If you're here and you follow Jesus, this is a time for you to remember that. You can do that to my right or to my left. If you're here and you think, man, I have not lived a life that follows Jesus, I have not modeled this well, I would encourage you to sit with this, pause, but then receive communion as a reminder of the sacrifice he made on your behalf. Let's take a couple moments, pray silently, and I will close in a prayer aloud. Father, your spirit is here and working and active. You know and search our hearts. You know where each and every person here is at. And so we ask you in your grace and your kindness to come near to us. That you would invite us into your presence, those that need to be invited, and that you would challenge us. Challenge us to walk more faithfully, more oriented and, and aligned to the good news of your son Jesus. Be with us now. Let this time remind us of you and fill us with your love and your presence to make this community filled with your spirit, empowered to serve the common good. Do that this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name.